are you guys? Good? I, some of the songs we sing, I don't know if we really listen to the words that we're singing. Like that last song, Gracefully Broken. Take all I have in these hands. What does all mean? All. all. <laughs> Find my heart on the altar. And then it, 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 he, the chorus is all to Jesus now. Holding nothing back, I surrender. I don't know about you guys, but I'm a terrible surrenderer. I'm just confessing it. I usually will have all the reasons when God changes something. How, how many of you like unexpected change? Okay, well, we got a support group for you. But, so... I, I don't like getting older. I'm scaring myself when I look in the mirror. It's like, oh, what happened? Who is that? You know. And and then when my mom fell and broke her hip, I for the last two years been trying to just prepare my heart. You know, at some point in time, you're going to say goodbye, and um, I don't like that. I don't like going into hospitals and seeing some of my friends that are aging, and then I, and I'm like, ah. So the idea of change and this idea of being vulnerable and susceptible to change, I, I don't know. And it's one of the things that I want to unpack as we look at uh, this part of the letter of Romans. Because what Paul is, is shifting in, he spent a lot of time, five chapters, talking about the, the, uh, the problem we carry with sin and what to do with it. When you've done wrong, and you, you know, how do you get right? But he's going to shift gears now, and he's going to talk about how you and I can live right. And the way that we live right is to walk in the newness of life, which means if it's new, we haven't been there, which means it's change. Blah! I don't, I'm like reticent to go there, because I like my known zone. I like my known zone. This is Mark's place. I can control it. I can predict it. I know what's going to happen, what's not going to happen. And the whole call of faith takes me outside of that. So last week, Brendan did a great job of just talking about this issue of sin. And he, and he uh, opened up with these couple of verses. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin... Still living it, do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And how Brendan summed it up last week was he said, Stop trying to live perfectly and start living faithfully. But it's the faithful part that's tricky for us and keeps us in the old way instead of walking in the new way. And we're going to get to that. But first, I want us to see the crazy cycle that we'll get ourselves in if we don't move with where Paul's gone because we, we tend to think that the Christian life is not get caught with your hand in the cookie jar. Not be the, the, the person who, uh, like this pastor friend of his who was counting his sin. It just seemed ridiculous to me. 
You, you know, what, first of all, how are you defining sin and then counting it? And so it's, this, it's like the Christian life becomes this crazy cycle of when I'm good, then I'm good. And when I'm bad, then I'm in trouble. And I know a lot of Christians that live this way. They feel good about their relationship with Jesus when they're doing good. And they're pretty sure about it. But when they're not doing so well, or when things are a little bit out of control, they're not feeling so good. And God wants to take that and flip it on its right side. But as it is with so many of the things with the kingdom of God, it's kind of an upside-down concept. And so Paul begins to write, and he's still going to use and talk about this idea of sin, but he's got a different definition of it that I want to illumine a little bit because it's how we define sin that's going to help us to move and walk and become the people that we're designed to be. We're created people, but we don't have the blueprints. He does. We don't know what the end product is supposed to look like. He does. And so this is where it becomes really critical. So when Paul is talking about sin, um, what he's... Uh, did I lose a slide here? There it is. What he's talking about is he, he's talking about our tendency to go separate from. Now, if you look up in the Strong's Concordance, what does sin mean? What you'll read is sin misses the mark. But the problem with the definition is what's the mark? What are we aiming towards? What, what's it supposed to look like? So you can read that and go, oh, yeah, yeah, I get that, but you're not really quite sure. And then the reality is, is that we also hear that sin separates us. It separates us from God, that the wages of sin is death. But I want us to think about this, and Paul does too, that the separation typically happens in a way where we've made the divide, where we've separated. Because most of the times when I've wandered off the rails, when I've done something I shouldn't have done, or thought something I shouldn't have thought, or said something I shouldn't have said, it isn't because God separated himself from me. It's because I took charge. I did what Mark wants to do. I notice this even when I'm trying to do good things in my life, like it's summertime. So it would probably be a good idea to lose a little bit of weight. Right? Not scare the people at the beach. So I think about losing some weight. But I don't know. Maybe I'm the only person that does this. But once I, I say, well, I, I'm not going to eat a lot of chips anymore. I just talked to Tom Stewart about this. Tom Stewart and I, we love potato chips. The difference between Tom and I is Tom doesn't eat them. And they go, well, how can you love them and not eat them? He says, well, I can't. Once I eat one, I just keep eating the whole bag. And I said, what's wrong with that? <laughs> That's why Tom is tall and skinny, and I'm not. But, the, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever tried the diet or thing, or you say, well, I, I'm going to make a change, and then you walk by, and it's amazing to me in the grocery store how all those different chips know my name. They can be Old Dutch, they can be Jay's, Frito-Lay. You walk by, and they go... Are you feeling chippy today? They call you in. And you see, at that moment, it's not that God's left me. 
It's not that God doesn't want good things from me. It's that I want potato chips. Right? Can I get an amen? Am I the only person in the room like this? So, so that, that's the challenge for us. And, and so oftentimes when we're trying to live this new life, we, we go our own way. And, and what Paul wants us to realize is that's the problem with sin. It isn't that God wants to point at you and yell at you and scream at you. What he knows is you can't go your own way. Because trouble happens then. I mentioned Corny's t-shirt. You know, I love his t-shirt. Where he's, it's just got, it's a white t-shirt with black letters that says, you know, in my defense, I was left totally unsupervised. I love that t-shirt. You know, and it's, you go on your own way. So what Paul is going to talk about is, in this verse, is staying with him in a way that we walk in the newness of life. Because he says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism. The idea of when you baptize someone in water, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Under the water, you're completely under. We'll do a baptism in August. So if you've not been water baptized, and you're thinking about it, that's good. And if you're a rascal, we hold you under the water a really long time. Because then when you come up, you're like, oh, I'm saved. Yep, there you go. You know, so the idea is you're dead with Christ. That that old Mark Spencer, he's gone. And when you're raised up, you're raised with Christ. And you're meant to be united with him. Because you're raised from the dead by the glory of the Father so that you can walk in newness of life. So many Christians are walking in the newness of life. The new things, the good things, the promising things he has for us. And the reason we don't is because we're reticent to step into that new, the change, the adventure. I don't know if I can do that. God says, right. It's not going to be just about you. It's going to be us. So this idea of walking in the newness of life is incredibly important. So I want to talk with you about that a little bit. And to do that, I'm going to use a a diagram that kind of explains our dilemma, at least part of it, as Christians. So, as believers, we know that God is high and lofty. He's holy. He's perfect. He's right. We know He's loving and He cares. But, you know, He's he's perfect. And then when I, I think about me, I'm not perfect. I know that. I know that there's just things about me that need to change. There's things that need, need to grow. Um, there's things that I need to learn and develop. But I'm not entirely like God. And there's this gap. There's this distance between he and I. Even after walking with the Lord for almost 40 years, I, I still am aware of my, my shortfalls. And, and then when you... Come to church oftentimes as we talk about things and what does it look like to grow in the Lord and to become more like the Lord. You can, you can feel like there's this huge chasm where God seems higher and higher and higher and bigger and greater and farther. And I'm smaller and unable and what's wrong with me? Why am I not growing? And what's happened at that point in time is you're not walking in the newness of life. Actually, you're walking in the oldness of life. Because you are trying to do it. And what that looks like is, you're over here trying to obey all the things that you read in the book. 
All the things that you hear from preachers, all the things that you hear on the radio, you read in books, you see online. Christians should be this way or that way or this way or that way. And you go, oh, I'll never make it. I'll never be able to do it. And that's where so many Christians just check out and say, I, I'm just going to settle here. This, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. One of the pastors that I'd worked with years ago was a pastor of a large church, very well-known church in the area, and he had slid off the rails. His life had become a slow process of unraveling, where he was busier and busier, and his ministry was more about doing and less about being. And he was running, 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 trying to keep up with the building project, trying to keep up with new members, trying to keep up with growth, trying to keep up. And he had a family with four kids, and he's busy, 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 run, 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 go, go, go. And he's trying to do all the things he thinks he should do. I wonder how many of us here this morning, if I could just turn up the x-ray, look inside your head, are kind of running like that. Can't keep up. Can't do that. I should do that. I shouldn't do that. And obey, obey, obey. And we think the only way that we'll get close to God and work in is through obedience. And certainly obedience is part of it. But what happened to this pastor when we were sitting and talking with him, I said, when did this unravel? Do you know? Do you know what happened? He talked about his business. I said, I know that, but do you know? You see, there's a moment where all of a sudden you just kind of flip the switch. And later on, he told me, he goes, I know when that moment was. I go, you do? Yeah. He said, actually, it was on a Sunday. And I had preached all the different services, and I had preached the sermon as best as I could preach. And then when everybody left, and I was alone, in my own solitude, it snapped. What snapped? He said, inside of me snapped. What happened? He said, I realized the very things that I was telling them to do, I myself was not willing to do. And I broke because I knew I couldn't do it. And we talked about this feeling of being overwhelmed on this side when you're trying to earn your way, fight your way. We all know as Christians that's not the right approach, but it's so easy because of our old nature, what we grew up with, what we did, how we rolled was, if it would be, it's up to me. I'll get it done. If I want that, I'll get that. If I don't want that, I'll avoid that. If I think that, I'll do that. And so we're driving our process. And it comes back so quickly, especially when we don't recognize the field we're on, when change has happened, when all of a sudden you're in a new place. I was talking uh, to Mark a little bit and teasing him. Mark and Taylor are getting married next weekend. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled about it. And there's been a lot of change in their life. I'm stealing your story. I hope I'm not in trouble. You know, Mark's been real busy with Pulse Ministry and Taylor's in nursing school and doing it. Plus, they're planning a wedding. How many of you plan weddings? Yeah, those are easy, right? It's crazy. And so they're planning that. And so this is new for them. And it's really easy when things are new when you see your limited resources, to forget that there's a God who wants to be involved with you in that, in the newness of life. 
And we can take it unwittingly and really try hard over here on our own flying solo and forget that there's a God who wants to partner and provide. Betsy and I, we were so thankful when we got married that we, we, couldn't, we didn't have two nickels to rub together. And we were talking about what are we going to do for rings, you know. And we were kidding and kind of laughing that we'd just get a flip top from a pop can and just, no one can see that from a distance. Just <laughs> slide on it. And Betsy's such a good person, she didn't care. So anyhow, we decided that we, we needed to begin to pray and to invite God to partner with us in this adventure instead of flying solo on our own, living out of our own resources. And so we went to Fred's Ideal Cafe in Northfield, Minnesota. I don't even know if it's still there, but that sounds like Northfield, doesn't it? Fred's Ideal. And you walked in, and everything had these wooden booths, and we slid into Fred's uh, Ideal Cafe. Eric, you know it. And, and we got a cup of coffee, because that's pretty much what we could do. And uh, so we got our coffee, and we held our hands, and we prayed. We said, Lord, thanks for this coffee and this time. And Lord, we don't know what you're going to do, but we, we need rings. And we, we're, we'll accept whatever you got, but we pray that you'd provide rings. In Jesus' name, amen. And when we opened our eyes, there was a guy looking around in our booth. Like that. And we're kind of like, hello. And he goes, I'm sorry. And we go, fine. He goes, but I couldn't help but overhear your prayer. And I said, well, yeah, if you're sticking your head in our booth. <laughs> I, I thought that. I didn't say it. And and he said, but, but I'm the jeweler from right next door. And uh, I was really touched by your prayer. And I'd like to help you with your rings. And so he took us into the jewelry store. He's showing us the rings. And he's going to give these rings in an incredible savings. And then he, he, you know, he turns out he's a Christian. And he says, you know, is there a verse that you have? And I said, yeah, the, I can't get off my fat finger too many potato chips. And... <laughs> He, he engraved on the inside of the ring, as for me and my household, we'll, we'll serve the Lord, Joshua 24, 24. And there were so many different things where when we partnered with God, we'd see his provision. One time we didn't even pray. Betsy just said, you know, it'd be nice to have a brass quartet. And I said, I don't know anyone does brass. She goes, it'd be great to have a brass quartet. I said, well, yeah, whatever you want, honey. We, we went home that night and someone called the house and said, hey, we heard you're getting married. Would you like a brass quartet? It's like God was eavesdropping everywhere. And he does that sometimes because he wants to remind you, don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. But it's so easy when it's hard, isn't it? It's so easy when it's hard to go alone because that's what we know. And so knowing that, God says, listen, Disobedience, that's going to happen, but it's going to happen a different way. This is why Paul took five chapters to get to where he is now. What I want you to be sure of is your identity. Whose you are defines who you are. All of a sudden, you know, when when God provides the rings, all of a sudden I have a new confidence that, whoa! And then he provides a a brass quartet, and then he provides a guy who's going to roast... A pig for us for our reception, you know, and that probably, we're not Jewish, so why not? So, a roast of, you know, he provides all these things. It, it builds your confidence and helps you to understand, whoa, whoa, look at this, look at this. And it's not, it's, it's partly because of who he is, but he wants us to know, you know, I want you to know who I am, but I want you to know who you are to me. 
And the only way, unfortunately, that we really get that is usually when you run into a new situation. I was kidding, Mark and Taylor. They get married. This has been a big push. They're excited. But you know what? You get married, and then pretty soon kids happen. And then you got kids. All these little Marks and Taylors running around, you know? And those kids turn into teenagers. Right? Yeah. And then they they become eternal college students who go away and come back and go away and come back and go away and come back. So there's all this newness and you're like, I don't know what to do with this. Well, see, what God wants you to know is, listen, I'm I'm with you in this. You're not alone. I didn't save you and, and then send you away. When I saved you, I told you this. I am with you always. What does that mean? He's always with you. The question is, are we always with him? And that's what Paul wants us to realize, is that I want you to realize that he has come and he's with you and he's going to stay with you because when you get that, grace happens. You realize that his grace has saved you. It's forgiven you. And that grace is, is, is part of the deal. It's the pardon. But there's a whole other element to grace that's about power. It's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.10, I am what I am by the grace of God. And you see, you will not move in the grace of God if you don't understand that he is with you and for you and wants to supply all of your needs when you encounter one of these new change moments. When things went south in the Bible, all the stories where people made mistakes and, and went uh, sideways, when Adam and Eve were tempted by the devil, and he comes and he says, listen, if you eat from that tree, you could be like God. And he's making a sales pitch. What would have happened What would have happened if Adam and Eve would have said, hold it right there, that's a wonderful sales pitch, but they walked over here and they knocked on God's door and they said, Father, there's this guy over here that wants to sell us on the idea of eating this tree. And instead of facing the challenge on their own strength and wisdom and resources, they would have faced it with him over here. Would it have been different? Would David's on the roof and he notices beautiful Bathsheba? He's alone. When Samson decides to go and hang out with this gal, Delilah, he's making the decision alone. And when you're alone, you're left to your old resources, your old ways, your old wisdom, your old supply, your old power, and it collapses. You're not living in the newness of life. What he wants you to become aware of in that situation when you're struggling is, don't forget, I am with you. I love you. Your hand, or my, your name is on my hand. I know you. I made you. And I will supply the grace as you walk with me through it. It's amazing to me, maybe sometime this week, tonight, just go and read Matthew 4, 
and watch Jesus' temptation. It's interesting because like the verse says, he gets baptized by John the Baptist. And then right after his baptism, John raises him up and then God rips the sky open and he goes, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Identity. He announces to the whole world, this is my son. But right after his identity is announced, he's led by the spirit into the wilderness for the express purpose of being tested. And amazingly, the first place that he is tested when the enemy comes is the enemy says to him, if you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. In other words, what's your identity, buddy? And by the way, after 40 days of not eating, wouldn't you like a nice piece of toast? It's an example to us, and it speaks to us about the need that we need to never forget who God calls us and never forget that God is with us to walk us through by his grace. There's a lot of verses in the New Testament that speak to this. Titus 2 is one of them. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. You and I will never get to a place when we're on this planet where we will not be encountering something new, something that feels a little out of control, where we need grace. It's just the nature of life. I... For the last two years, I've been trying to get ready. I know at some point in time I have to say goodbye to my mom. My mom is my hero. I mean, anyone that could put up with me for as long as she's had. She's, a, and she's only like 4'10". She's just this little, tiny Irish lady. When she was a teenager, penicillin was a new drug. The doctor gave her a thousand times more than she should have had. And that drug went to war in her body and it ate her in her ears. And she went deaf as a teenager. Talk about walking in the newness of life. A teenager, deaf. What's amazing to me is that my mom did not become bitter, but by the grace of God became better. We went down to see my mom, who just recently broke her hip. She's in a care unit. And here's this little lady. She can't do much for herself. You have to help her out of her chair, put her in a wheelchair. You have to push the wheelchair. You have to help her out of the wheelchair, back into another chair. She can't even go to the bathroom by herself. But we're sitting around this table of care, people. I want to scream. I just don't like it. I don't like the change. It's not what I think is good newness of life. But yet I'm learning things about God, learning things about me, I'm learning things about my mom, learning things about my wife, Betsy. A lot of things. Man, it has me off balance. I didn't expect that. But most of all, I'm learning about grace. 
that helps me do what I should do, but can't do on my own. And I saw a picture of Grace when I watched my mom at this table. There was a social worker, occupational therapist, chief nurse, doctor. Here's this little 85-year-old lady with a broken hip, and they want to keep her. Not because she's hurt, but because of who she is. They kept saying, we're not letting you go. And I, I said, well, my family's probably going to push back on that. But he said, we, we love her. She, when, when someone comes in to her room, like if Sharon was taking care of her, and she met, she'd say, hi, what's your name? Remember, she's pretty much deaf. And she has to engage this conversation. She has to read the lips. I've been in restaurants where servers treated her unkindly because they thought she was just plain stupid. She's deaf. But she would look at Sharon. She goes, hi, what's your name, Sharon? I'm sorry, would you say it again for me, Sharon? Sharon, I like that name. Thank you for helping me. This is what she leads with. Sharon, are you married? Do you have kids? Everywhere she goes. My mom doesn't like having a broken hip. She doesn't like being 85. She doesn't like being in a care unit. But she's walking in the newness of life. Because she's walking with him. She's not abiding on her own strength. She's trusting his. When people see that, the doctor, the nurse, the occupational therapist, the social, when they see that, they go, what's that? What's that you have? Ladies and gentlemen, what if, starting now, we stepped into the new things of life, the challenges and the changes, with God, in a way that demonstrates the grace of God? What would happen? Think about that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Man, apart from your grace, where would we be? And I think I can speak for all of us that when challenges and changes come, we're not necessarily like, hooray, this will be fun. And I suspect that some of us are facing challenges and changes. It's just part of life. So as we get ready to do this offering, we, we don't want to just offer you some money. We'll do that. But really, I think what you're after is that we would offer you more of us. That we would do what we sing. That we would surrender. That we would trust. That we would walk with, not hold back, not run away, not say that's enough, but say, you know what, God, take my hand. Let's do this. So for the next section of worship, for communion, for this time, would you please help us as the gracious God who can. We trust you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Take all I 
having these hands and multiply God all that I am and find my heart on the altar again set me on fire set me on fire take all high having these hands and multiply God all that I am and find my heart on the altar again set me on fire set me on fire here I am God arms wide open